Well, good morning, my church. How are you? <clears throat> Hadn't seen you in a while. If you don't know me, my name's Mike. Uh, also, if you ever wonder, if, I don't know that you've ever wondered this, but just in case you've ever wondered what goes on on the front row before somebody comes up here to speak, I'll tell you. Jeff Murphy harasses me. That's what happens. I guess words out on, on my former dancing skills. He wanted me to get out here and do the happy dance with you, but I didn't do it. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, glad to be with you today. And, uh, you know, some songs are made for certain people. And uh, I remember an old evangelist friend of mine who used to go around and preach everywhere. And he always had one request for those who led music wherever he was preaching. He used a, since it's football season, he used a great football analogy he says, when, when I'm preaching, he would tell the music people, he says, you have a job to do. And that is, he says, you need to set me up, okay? And he says, in other words, I want you to set me up so well, it's first and goal when I get up to preach, not fourth and long. Y'all with me? And anytime Britain's on stage and I get to preach, it's like first and goal and the ball's just touching the goal line, isn't it? Some songs are made for her, and uh, I appreciate her and her, her gift, her heart uh, more than that uh, for that and giving it to the Lord. So thank you very much. Hey, if, if anyone else is offended that you've not been invited to the kickball tryouts, welcome to my world. Um, also, my former kickball skills have been ignored and overlooked as well, and so I have not been invited to those tryouts, but uh, just in case you're wondering, and you are one of those that Christy said, search out and find out who knows where they are, I don't know where they are, okay? So they're a huge secret, uh, top secret, I guess. They've not been, uh, I haven't been told, and apparently Jeff hasn't been told either. So anyway, we'll just uh, leave that where it is. Hey, uh, real fast too, we're in this series called Where's the Joy, and um, Again, there's, there's this little symbol there. Y'all see it? Okay. I'm, a, I'm also a little offended, and I won't use names of people, you know, normally Adam Thornton, but they, um, they think I'm old. Now, for, for some of you, I really am old. He says, Mike, you need to understand something about that symbol. He said it's called hashtag, not pound sign. Now, my generation calls it pound sign, okay? But uh, for today, we're in this series called Hashtag Where's the Joy, okay? And it's a, if you haven't been here any, it's been a series of messages going through the book of Philippians. Uh, my wife and I were not here last week. We couldn't be here. And the week before, we got rushed out of here real fast uh, in an emergency for our daughter. And thank the Lord, that went well and turned out well. But I, I've missed the last couple of weeks myself on this. But Jeff has asked me to come and wrap up the series on Where's the Joy uh, in the book of Philippians. And uh, it's my joy to do so. Now, again, I want to share with you a little disclaimer up front. I did this for the last service as well. And I want to start it by saying Jeff always exhibits all kinds of trust in me, which uh, I guess I'm grateful for. I mean, he's a, he's a good friend, and he always says, Mike, you know what to do. You do it. And so he never tells me what to preach, okay? He just never says, Mike, this is what I expect of you. This is what I'm doing. He said, he'll just say, hey, this is the series we're in, and this is the book we're in in Philippians. Philippians has four chapters, and this is the fourth week, so I'm supposed to pick out something from Philippians chapter 4 and speak about today. And he just says, Mike, the rest is up to you. Now, last service I said, too, he may never exhibit this kind of trust in me again, too, because today I'm going to break one of the cardinal rules of preaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit the cardinal sin of preaching today, and I'm serious about that. Here's what I'm going to do. If you've ever studied preaching, you've ever sat under people that are, are helping you learn how to do this, 
they'll tell you a lot of things, but I know they'll tell you one thing for sure, and that is this. They'll always say this, preach what you know, not what you think, okay? Because when you start preaching what you think, you can get into places that you don't belong, and then you're no longer accurate sometimes in preaching what you think. Guess what I'm going to do today? Later on in the message, I'm going to give you something that I think is true out of the Bible. And here's the great part about it, okay? You cannot prove me wrong, all right? There's no way. You cannot prove me wrong. Now, some of you wives, some of you husbands, you are thinking right now, that's the kind of debate I like to be in with my spouse, somewhere where she or he cannot prove me wrong, okay? But there's another side of that coin, all right? I cannot prove that I'm right. But I'm going to build a case for this thought because... Really, the question is not whether we're going to debate that today or not. It's really not, okay? It's whether or not we accept some of the premises behind it because there's enough biblical evidence to say, okay, that could be true, and either way, it's going to help me, especially in this series and this thought process of where is the joy that God has promised? Where is the joy as, as far as being a believer, as far as being a Christian, being a Christ follower, making him the leader, the forgiver of my life? Is there really joy in this? And the answer to that question is yes. Now, one of the things that I remember a mentor of mine telling me just a few years ago in what I do on a regular basis now as a corporate chaplain, I go into companies and organizations every day during the week. And as we go in and go to these companies and minister literally to, to all the employees, uh, this gentleman who was probably one of our premier guys in our organization, he's now retired, he said this to me, and he said it to us all who he would coach and mentor. He says, you are pain hunters. Every time you go into a location that you go to, a business or an organization, you are going in there hunting the pain of people, Okay. And in doing that, he said, oftentimes what you're going to find as you discover the pain that's in people's lives is, and I've used this illustration up here before in the past with Adam Thornton, uh, that sometimes you end up just having to sit in the ash heap with them. And that's just part of the process of building that relationship, caring for them. And you know what I'm talking about. You've done that with your friends. You've done that with your family before. Sometimes all you can do is sit in a person's pain with them as you seek to try to find a way to get out of that. Now, as I do that, I find a recurring theme that is something that I'm going to talk about with you today on this whole thing about where's the joy. There's this theme that, that, that plagues us, that keeps us from experiencing the joy that God has intended. And by knowing this, and as we're going to talk about in a moment, practicing this, it's something that we're going to discover, hey, that could be that one missing ingredient of finding the joy that God has forever intended for me to have. So I want to pick two verses out with you out of Philippians chapter 4. I want us to look at these and see if we cannot find a little bit more to this answer of where's the joy. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, this is what we read. In the first two words, Paul says, Finally, brothers. And now before we read the whole thing, what, what really he's saying is in Georgia language, he's saying, Finally, y'all, listen up. One of the things you'll discover as you read the book of Philippians is Paul is a little redundant, okay? 
He's not saying the exact words over and over again, but his theme of joy in this book is so interwoven that really he's overlapping his speech and he's overlapping his letter with, with kind of the same theme over and over again. And so here in these verses, when we hear him say, Finally, brothers, he's given us another time in another way, in a nutshell, what he wants us to do to experience joy. Again, chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives us, in verse 8, several things that he says to think on. Think on these things, those things which are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. And what Paul is telling us is he's not suggesting this. And he's not saying, you know what, you might want to consider this as an option. He's telling us, do this. He's saying exercise a rigid control over your mind. Exercise a very rigid control over your thoughts. Treat your thoughts as if you are the guard at the gate, like the guard at the gate of a city where you put a strong hand on those thoughts. Some of those businesses that I go into every week require that they see my car, they see a badge or something because they have a guard at the gate. And what we're talking about here, and even in military terms, some of you can relate to that, is you realize what Paul is saying is this thought process that he says, think on these things. He's saying put a guard at the gate, put a strong hand on those things because a thought process that is left to run in unbridled fashions will take you to places that you don't need to go. It will rob you of things that you are desperately wanting and needing to hold on to. For example, joy. And that's how important this is to him. And many times our thoughts are expressed as if we are a city with broken down walls. Now, if you ever want to know what a thought that's unexpressed is, all you have to do is spend one day on Facebook. You'll find somebody who you'll say, they didn't think about that before they said that or showed that. You know, you've, you've talked about them, haven't you? You're like, hey, did you see that post or whatever? Thoughts or expressed in that way are unfiltered because they don't have a guard at the gate. And oftentimes that's what happens in our life. Now, often, uh, again, one of the rebuttals to thinking as Paul tells us to think, Paul says this should be your thought process, is something like this. Yeah, but Mike, the circumstances of life require that I have to think about other things, the necessities of my daily life, the duties that are required of me that I carry with me every day make certain things necessary and even somewhat absorbing in my life. And I get that. And you're exactly right because wherever you work, the things that you have to do, the things that you are in control of, the things that are someone else are in, is in control of over you will dictate the fact that you have to deal with a lot of things in your mind, okay? Okay. But the fact still remains that Paul says, interwoven through all of that must be a filter, must be a guard on that thought process that says whatever's true, noble, right, 
pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. That's why we need to embrace this catalog of thoughts into the thought process that we take every day with. So, I want us to look at each one of these words that Paul says. We cannot exhaust them. We do not have the time. I only want to address them with, uh, with one or two thoughts each. So as you look at verse 8, where he says, Finally, brothers, the first thing he says to us is, Whatever is true, think on this. If it's true, think about this thing called truth. Now, truth is the highest of all virtues. When Jesus spoke on this earth, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Really, this word is a word that takes us to a place of reverence and literally will command worship from us. So whenever we think about what is true, the highest embodiment of truth is the Lord himself. The highest embodiment of truth, every aspect of him, every quality of God is pure 100% truth. And so what Paul is calling us to do when he says, have this thought process like this, is think about what is true. He starts us off with saying, worship God. Your thought process should constantly be going over all the attributes of God, all the names of God, all the worth of God, whatever's true. And the second one is like it, whatever is noble, okay, where it means whatever is reverent. And so when we think about these first two, whatever is true and whatever is noble, really it's a process that Paul is taking us into worshiping God uh, I use the analogy in the first service too, and the same here, where the disciples of Jesus looked at him, and if you ever thought about this, they never looked at Jesus and said, teach us how to preach like you. Teach us how to teach like you. The disciples saw something different in him. They said, teach us how to pray like you pray. And Jesus said, he gave them the model prayer when he says, well, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now there's an expression of worship. And that's what Paul is talking about. When you pray, be worshiping God because to hallow the name of God means to lift it up and to praise the name of God and all the qualities of God and all the names that God has that describes himself are all truth and they are all noble. They are all the highest virtues and virtues of reverence. And that's what Paul says. This should be our thought process daily, over and over again, never leaving it. It's staying with us all day long in the middle of your day when you're about to hit the, the, the nap time that you wish you could get a nap around 2 o'clock and you're wondering, man, how do I get out of this? Think on these things all the time, whatever's true, whatever is noble. The third one is this, whatever is right or whatever is just. Now, this one's very simple. And it's really me, it boils down to what is my duty? What is my obligation? Now, once again, kind of like the analogy with the guard at the gate, our military personnel and families that are in here, you get this. You understand duty and obligation. And the rest of us should. The rest of us have that, that knowledge and that understanding. But that's exactly what Paul is saying is this. Focus your mind on what is right. Focus your mind on what you're called to do. Focus your mind and your thought process on the obligation that's before you. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right or just, think on these things. Now the fourth one is, is simply this, purity. Whatever is pure, think on these things. Now this word pure means a couple of things. It means simply righteous. Whatever is righteous, 
Think on these things. Let these thoughts dwell in your brain. And let them be the expression of your life. Whatever's holy. That's also another word for pure. Here's another one, and I like this word. And we don't use this word much anymore in our English language today. But it's the word chaste. Whatever is free from obscenity, in other words. Whatever is free from defilement. Whatever is stainless. And so many times, more often than not, this word chaste has to do with our sexuality. And approaching it properly with the right mind that God has given us instead of the foul ways that the world has taken and perverted it with. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here when he says, take your mind and make it pure. Let there be, uh, I I read this phrase from from an old English author, and this is exactly what he said about this in a commentary on this verse and on this word pure. He said this, let there be a shuddering recoil from all that is opposite to purity. I like those two words, a shuddering recoil. Now, you know what we, that what is absent today in our society about the subject of purity is any kind of shuddering recoil. You know what we do today? We explain it away. We simply say, whether it's at a movie theater or our own home theater or some other place, we simply say things like, well, it's not that bad. Okay? We, we do not have a thought process, generally speaking, across our society on this whole subject of purity that has anything in it that remotely resembles a shuddering recoil. And we wonder why our thought processes take us down paths that ultimately ruin the joy that our lives are meant to have from God Himself. And we wonder why it's all full of turmoil. It's because we're not thinking of those things that are true and noble, those things of God that are worth worshiping, those things that are right, that is in my duty and my obligation as a man or a woman and where I'm found in my work or at my home, or especially something that is pure. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 101, verse 3. He says, I'll set before my eyes no vile thing. And that word vile means anything of no worth. Now, I'm going to raise my hand. Please don't raise yours because I'm I'm sure you might have to join me. But this week, I've allowed some vile things to be set before my eyes, which means things of no worth. And you say, well, Mike, there's no way we can help it. If we're watching TV, something's going to happen. And and you're right. Some things are beyond our ability to choose, but we don't have to dwell on them, that's for sure. And we certainly shouldn't choose them. Paul says, choose a different way of thinking, and that is think differently about this. I like Job. Job Job 31 said this. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on another girl. Now, there's a covenant that a lot of us guys need to make. uh, Solomon in Proverbs said, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. You say, well, Mike, I thought you were talking about our thought process, not our looking. Well, the thought process is the beginning, and Satan knows that. The thought process leads to the action. And by the way, your mind is the only playground Satan can play on. It is the only battleground in which he wages war. He doesn't do anything else. He he doesn't have the ability to do anything else. The only thing he can try to do is affect your thinking because if he knows he can take you down a path of thoughts, then those thoughts will lead to certain actions. Let's move ahead to the next two. Let's put them together. He says, whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, 
think about such things. In other words, whatever is acceptable, whatever is dear to everyone, something of real worth, lay your eyes, your thoughts on these things of good reputation. Why would we choose other things? Why would we choose things that are unlovely and, not, and anything but admirable? Paul says, think about these things, true, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable. And then he says this, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, if there's anything that's truly virtuous or worth praising God over, camp out there. Anything that that's upright and morally excellent, do that. Now, he gives us this list, eight of those things in that verse, again, that we just looked at very briefly, each one. And then I want you to notice verse 9 after his command on what to think about. He says this, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Put these things into practice. Practice. Now, I'm going to give you an, an analogy. Some of you may not be able to relate to it. Some of you can. I love the game of golf, okay? Probably because I can't play kickball anymore. If I go out there, I'll pull a hamstring or something. Who knows what I'll do, all right? But I used to be decent at golf, and then we had kids. Somebody else has done it, too. And for a bunch of years there, raising kids, and again, I, I still worked, but spare time didn't give as much time to golf anymore. Guess what? My kids are pretty much grown now. I don't have to focus on all that like I used to. I can go play some golf again. Guess what? I've been practicing. Put it into practice. I've been practicing a lot, okay? And I've been working on my game a lot, and guess what's happening? I'm getting close again. Yeah, I'm getting real close, Murphy. I want to go out with you again, show you. But guess what? I know there's at least, well, I think there is, there's at least two people in the room today that's going, yeah, but he ain't told the rest of the story yet. So if you're sitting next to an Austin or a Steven, keep them down. I'm, I'm getting there. I practice a lot, but guess what? As I've practiced right now, I'm having no problem driving the ball. I can't hit it as far as I used to, but I, I'm having no trouble hitting the driving. My iron game is good, okay? My putting I can live with. In fact, my putting is okay, all right? But guess where I absolutely stink? Chipping the ball. It costs me more strokes than you can shake a stick at, and it's bothering me. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm still competitive, all right? Austin asked me this the other day. Or he basically made an observation, something like that. He says, Mike, of all the practice you make, where are you spending the least amount of your time? On the chipping green, okay? In fact, no time at all there. You know why? I hate it. I had this mental block on it. And when I get around the green and I start chipping, I go mental, okay? If you've ever played golf, you know what I'm talking about, all right? And that's what I'm missing today. I'm that close to getting low again in my golf game. Now, there's enough of that. If you're wondering in your Christian world, as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, as you're trying to find the best part of your game and get to the place where you want to be, you maybe used to be, you know you should be, but you're this close and, and you're away from it, guess what I'm be willing to bet you're not practicing 
is a thought life that honors God and gets you to a place where you know you belong. You know you're supposed to be there. God has called you there. God has brought you to a place of joy if you allow Him to take you there, but you avoid this one thing. You, you, for example, you're here today, and so you, you've been practicing the whole discipline of gathering together with the believers, coming to worship together, hearing the Word of God, singing His praises, and being with the church. That's a great practice, just like I practice the other things. But this thought process has not entered into your mind. You see, this is not some self-help speech for you today. It's not some motivational speech to think more positive. Okay, it's so much deeper than that. What's at stake here? is the joy that you are looking for because at the very end of verse 9, he says, put it into practice, and guess what? And the God of peace will be with you. Joy will fill you. The joy that is elusive to you, that you want to do, that you desperately want to do, but you mentally don't know how to get there because you don't practice it. That's what awaits you at this time. You see, our thought process molds our actions. And if our thought process has drifted away from all of these things and it's drifted to those things that are not of God, then the drift will show, okay? Your drift will show to other people. You'll not be able to hide it. And as your thoughts give birth to actions, those actions then build your character. And that character determines your destiny. And why would you want to go on any journey whatsoever without the joy that should accompany it? And that's what Paul is telling us. If you want to know where's the joy, Paul is saying so much of it is found right here in your thoughts because your thoughts are what accompany you every day. And as I go into these places every day, every week, I hear and see so much of this that the person that I'm talking to, the pain that they're in, their thoughts accompany them. In fact, their thoughts accompany them so much, it's almost as if they harass them. It's almost as if they've got them bound up and they cannot escape some of these things because of their own thoughts that that are so far off. And we don't have time to even look at any of those examples. But this is what's at stake here. It's our joy. And one of the things Paul tells us Uh, in another portion of Scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Look at this on the screen, if you will. He says, We demolish arguments and, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And notice this, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul says you cannot allow the thoughts in your life to run rampant. You've got to take these thoughts captive and make that thought obedient to, obedient to Christ or subject it to the obedience of Christ. In other words, okay, is this thought something I should have going on in my mind? Should I let it go and give birth to something else? Well, let, let's see. Let's put it up against what Christ would say. No. All right, let's take it captive and put it over here where it belongs and move on. We don't do those things. We simply say, oh, it's not that bad, or I'm not as bad as others. You know, it's just not going to really affect me that much. Look out. It will affect you. Satan's very patient. He'll allow it to run. If you'll let it run rampant, he'll be patient enough for it to turn into an action. And then that action will begin to mold your character. And then before you know it, things are destroyed in your lives, whether you've lost your family, lost a job, lost whatever it could be. This is what is at stake for you. It's your joy, and it's what uh, he wants to do to you, and that is destroy everything about you. Now, there's another place that Paul talks about uh, something I want to bring up, and this is where I get to my disclaimer earlier. Okay, I'm about to venture into the world of the unknown. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Beginning in verse 7, 
This is what we read from Paul. You may not hear these first same words, but just follow on the screen. To keep from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there is given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul is saying, I've been given some great revelations, okay? And what's been given to me is this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the only thing God said to him at that time was, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, who in here knows what the thorn in the flesh of Paul was? Nobody. All right? Nobody knows what that thorn was. In fact, there's some theories of what that thorn was. A couple of them are this. Number one, some people think that the thorn that, that Paul had to deal with was a physical infirmity of some sort. You see, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was a very glorious experience that happened to him. He went blind for a while. Some people said he had a vision problem, and he wished that that thorn would leave him. He wished he could see properly. Some people say, well, because of that experience, it, it, it affected him neurologically speaking and that he had uh, seizures from that point on. He wished that would leave from him. I don't think Paul was worried about any physical infirmity he had. That's just my opinion. Because in this room here, I guarantee you, there's all kinds of stories of physical infirmities that you've overcome that we've overcome in our lives, okay? I've seen it in my grandfather and my uncle's life. I see it in my, my brother's life with his girl, that one of his uh, three girls that he has is a Down syndrome child. We trade anything to give them the perfect health we want, but you know what? There's just way too many victorious stories of people overcoming the physical things that happen to us. We would never want them. We, we, if we could, we'd take them away, but they just don't stop us that much. They, there's too much victory in those kinds of stories, Okay? Now, there's another uh, uh, theory out there about Paul's thorn. Some people say that there was a literal messenger that would kind of follow him around and harass him, so to speak, physically, literally, okay, Th that would harass him and call him out on things, and, and Paul would pray, Lord, get this guy away from me. And like in the first service, I said, the, the only analogy I could think of is, anybody watch the movie It's a little older now, Happy Gilmore? Y'all seen Happy Gilmore? I know it's a very wholesome movie. I know as I'm talking about thought process here. Um, Y'all remember the guy that uh, was the professional golfer and he, di he didn't like old Happy Gilmore coming up, so he, he, he hired a guy to harass Happy Gilmore? Y'all remember that? He'd follow, follow Happy around the golf course and call him a name. I won't use that name out loud right now. Something like a donkey of sorts, but... Uh, Anyway, it was the messenger of that guy to try to get in the head of Happy Gilmore and mess him up so bad that he couldn't play golf anymore. That's what I think about. And again, that could be right. It could be right as the day is long. Somebody could have been following Paul around, harassing him, just like old Happy got harassed. I don't know. I cannot prove them wrong. I cannot prove them right. I'm about to give you my theory, okay? And again, you can't prove me wrong. But I can't prove it right either. And that's not the point. But let me tell you what I believe here. I think, and a lot of folks think, too, that the thorn in Paul's side were thoughts, memories. We don't know that to be true, but that's the one I buy into. That's all I'm saying to you, okay? Nobody can prove that. But here's why. Paul talks about it a lot. 
Paul says you need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, as he said a couple chapters earlier. And back in Philippians, he just talks to us so much about think on these things. Uh, and as you think on these things, if you've heard from me, whatever you know from me, then put it into practice, and there you'll find the peace of God that passes all understanding. You see, Paul is just like us. And this is one of the reasons, I, and again, who, who knows why? We just don't know some of these things. But Paul had a past. Do y'all remember, if you don't know what Paul's past was, read about it, okay? He was a very ungodly man. Fair enough for those of you who know it? Let's just call him ungodly. Anybody else in this room have a past? I know my past. I know my past. And listen to me. I know how sometimes it is very daunting as it haunts me. And there are times that I think back and say, wow, God, I cannot believe you would save a person like me. Because what Satan does sometimes is he, he reminds me, yeah, Mike, you're going to go preach at my church this Sunday, but do they really know how awful you've been? And I'm like, no, they don't. If they did, they'd run me out. And it haunts me. And you know what it takes from me? It takes the joy away from me. It, God, see, Satan does not have the ability to take God away from me, but he can take that joy that I want to walk in and absolutely rob me of it if I allow it to. And he can tell me, Mike, here's why you're a loser. Everybody else would know you're a loser too if, they, if you just list out all these things. If they knew the things you thought about, if they knew the things that you said, if they knew the things you did. We've all been there, I think. We all have a past. We all know what it means to be guilty. And that's why I love, and you may have heard me say this almost every time I preach. I don't know. And if you're tired of it, get over it because here it comes again. Psalm 32.5, David was one of the worst sinners on this earth, even though he was called a man after God's own heart. He said, I confessed my iniquity to you, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. You see, God wants something for you more than just the forgiveness of your sin. He wants you to walk guilt-free. Hello? Guilt-free. And Satan knows that once your sins are forgiven, they've been placed as far as east is from the west. Satan cannot even find that, so he can't even go make you a sinner again. But he can make you feel guilty over things and keep you trapped in the shame of your past. Could it be that Paul was haunted a little bit about all that he used to do, all the Christians that he killed and that he had killed and he watched over being killed? Could it be that he had these thoughts and memories that he said, Lord, I wish you could take this away from me. I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I can say is maybe, to be honest with you. Maybe. But one of the reasons why I believe that was his thorn is because the only battlefield that Satan operates on is right here. I cannot prove the reason why Paul said these things, but Paul understood where Satan operates. And Paul knew that generations upon generations upon generations would read these words thousands of years later and he would want to give them hope to say, listen, the only thing Satan can do is ravage your mind and take away your joy. And if you'll learn how to take captive these things, if you'll learn how to think about what's true, what's right, what's noble, what's pure, what's trustworthy, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy, then you can do battle with the enemy and know where the joy is because you'll be able to lay hold of the joy, the one piece of your Christian life that's missing from you being the best one you can be, just like the one piece of my silly golf game is missing. He said, if you get this, You'll come to that place of joy. You'll understand it like never before. 
was with a lady t- this week in the workplace where she is. And I was trying to use this to encourage her. She's, she takes phone calls from customers. Anybody ever take phone calls from customers? <laughs> ever get a mean one? Have you ever been the mean one? She got cussed out. She received all kind of venom and poison just poured on her. And he hung up on her. And she was upset about it. And she looked at me and she said, after she kind of spewed her own venom over it, okay, she finally looked at me and said, what? You know, it's like, well, hello. I said, that call was a gift from God, wasn't it? And she's thinking, and I'll tell you what she's thinking because she told me. She said, you got about a minute to, to explain yourself before I hit you. And y'all are out there thinking, yeah, you're an idiot, Mike. Why would you say such a thing? That's stupid. I told her, I said, here's why it's a gift from God. She is one of us. She's a follower of Jesus. She believes on the name of Jesus Christ. She's a Christ follower. I said, that call was a gift from God because you have the ability to impact his world because your thought process, your, your life, the joy that you have in you can help bring out a witness to that person and change their day. And she had a great comeback for me too now. She said, he didn't give me time to do that. I said, well, yeah, you're right, but look at all these people around you. All these people around you right now, they know you're a Christ follower. They know you proclaim Christianity as your faith. And they also know sometimes the filth you have to listen to on that phone. And it can affect you in a different way than what you want it to. I said, you still have the ability to choose how to think. And how you think today can impact these lives around here for the gospel. It can impact lives for eternity. Folks can end up looking at you going, wow, what is it about you? And you can talk to them about the joy that you have because you practice such things. You're not just listening to a sermon that says, think on these things. You walk away from it saying, I'm going to put this into practice. I've had conversations with people before, too, about the state of our world affairs. And they are very afraid and anxious. Maybe you're one of them, okay? And I'll tell you, you got reason to be, okay? We have reason to be afraid and anxious. Without a Savior and without hope, we have reason for those things. But as they talk about everything globally, from terrorists to terrorist names like ISIS to all the things that are happening locally in America, whether you want to talk about the leadership of America, the lack of leadership of America, all the things that it's affecting, everybody's afraid and they're anxious. And I simply look at them and I say, what an exciting time to be alive. What an absolute wonderful time to be a Christ follower when there is so much anxiety, so much worry, so much fear, And we have the opportunity because of choice, because we are practicing a new thought process in life to express hope to such an anxious world, 
to express not only hope but the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the mercies that come with knowing Him, walking with Him, finding forgiveness in Him, being guilt-free, being shame-free, and finding the hope not only in eternity but in the fact that He is with us today, just like the presence we were saying about in the very first song. And then Christy got up here and read to you that scripture. The very presence with us this moment gives us tremendous hope and gives me no reason to fear. I don't want to hurt I don't want to hurt at the hands of a terrorist, you know what? But you know what? I got something better than that, and I can choose. I can choose to win that battle every day if only I'll put it into practice, is what Paul says. And then the God of peace will be with you. You know, I don't have to stand here and tell you that your thoughts shape you, that your thoughts guide you, And in this case, you also know that your thoughts in life can excite you and fill you with the joy that God has intended. It's like I said, this is not a self-help speech. This is not some, the power of positive thinking deal that you've come to. This is the very Word of God that so much of your joy that you look for is found in. It's in your thoughts, whatever's true whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever is pure, whatever's trustworthy, excellent, praiseworthy, lovely, admirable, all these things. Think on these things. Let these rule your life. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your workplace. It'll change your life. I'll say one last thing, then we're going to pray. I don't, I don't win at this all the time. In fact, I lose at it more than I care to know. Okay? I'm a fellow journeyman with you in this process of wanting to be more like this all the time. My wife wishes I were more like this all the time. She's figured it out better than I have. She's not like it all the time either, but she's figured it out better than I have. And there's times I know she wishes, I wish he could get his thought process right so we can move forward in joy. So much is at stake. And I pray that you'll go back And practice it, as Paul said. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that we can have a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that the Scripture is true where you've told us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but that you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, this is one area for sure that Satan can steal from us, rob from us, and destroy us by removing our ability to dwell on the things that you'd have us to dwell on, and therefore we live in defeat versus living in the joy that you've intended for us to live in. Lord, thank you for an example like Paul. Other examples around us like Paul, whatever you've seen in me, heard from me, noticed in me, put it into practice. And Lord, it's interesting to me that we do put into practice so many other things in life that mean nothing, ultimately, like my silly golf game. But yet we won't put into practice these very simple things that you say to us 
and reveal to us so much of your joy, Mike, is found in this, if only you would. Lord, we have the ability not only to change our own lives with this, discovering this kind of joy, but we have such an opportunity to impact the world around us with how we think. Thank you, Father, for revealing to us so much about your plan for us, not only to know you, to walk with you, to find forgiveness of sin in you, but to find joy in the present and for the future where we can lay our past behind us and never worry about going back there again. Thank you, Lord, for today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.